Howdy, folks. This is the Words of Truth from the Scriptures podcast. I'm Brian Yeager. I'm glad you've tuned in to listen. Today, we're going to be asking this question. Do you want to be in heaven or are you just trying to avoid going to hell? It's an important question. The study we're going to have ought to be thought-provoking. It is intended to challenge you, to make you think about whether or not you have faith and love for the right reasons. Little heads up, today I am having to record from my office, which happens to be in the dining room of my house, which happens to have a very high ceiling, and I have my daughter, Taylor. Those of you who know me know Taylor very well. Uh, she will likely make noises that I am not going to be able to prevent, but it's just her and I here at the house today, and it's time to record. So we're going to roll with it one way or another, and, and you're just going to have to bear with me through any kind of background noise <coughs> that we might have. So as we start off today in our podcast, I want you to think about the mindset of a faithful Christian and how that a faithful Christian is looking forward to the coming of the Lord and everything that that means. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 12, it says, But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. So in that reading of the text, Christians, if you listen carefully, hopefully you're in a position where you can follow along or at least some point where you will go back and look at some of these scriptures, Christians are hastening. We're looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God. That is, we're looking forward to it. Jude and Jude verse 21 says, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. So for me, I'm looking for, looking forward to the coming of our Lord. The mindset, like Paul said in Philippians chapter 1, 21 through 23, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I wot not, for I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. And if you read the context, his conflict is he wants to be able to help his brethren. He wants to be able to continue to be an apostle and a teacher to help them get to heaven. But he's looking forward to eternal life as well, looking forward to paradise and all that that means uh, leading up to eternal life. So like Paul, faithful Christians are in a position where we can't wait. Lord Jesus, come quickly. But we do have this conflict. 
We all know people that are lost, and even those that we don't know that are lost. That in itself poses a dilemma similar to what Paul had. If the Lord comes, the judgment commences. Those that are lost are forever lost. So that's the only reason that a faithful Christian ought to desire our Lord's delayed coming. For everything else, we should be looking forward to, to eternal life in heaven. And 2 Corinthians 5, 6-8 says, Therefore, we are always confident, knowing that whilst we're at home in the body, we're absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. You're not holding on to anything in this world. I don't know why anybody would want to anyway, but faithful Christians aren't holding on to things in this world. It's, I can't wait to go home. I can't wait to be with my father. I can't wait to spend eternity with my brothers and sisters in Christ and all that that means. However, for some people, even some people that believe that they're in Christ and believe that they're going to be saved, they're motivated about eternity, not in the sense of, I can't wait to get to heaven, but that they want to escape damnation. You know, in that language Jesus used in Matthew 23, 33, ye serpents, ye generation of vipers, how can ye escape the damnation of hell? Well, some people getting to heaven is just the escape. It's the alternative. You know, it's not their first choice. They'd rather just stay on earth. They'd rather just have eternal life and what life they've built here on earth. When, when you think about that, that's not choosing to go to heaven. That's desiring not to go to hell, right? So there are some questions that we have to ask ourselves. Do you long for salvation? You know, salvation is at the end, Revelate, or not Revelation, sorry, 1 Peter 1 and verse 9. If you're following the 1 Peter study, we've talked about that. Psalm 119, 174, the psalmist says, I have longed for thy salvation, O Lord, and thy law is my delight. Do you long for salvation? Do you long for the Lord? And, and the 63rd Psalm, the first six verses, O God, thou art my God, early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. To see thy power and thy glory, so as I've seen thee in the sanctuary. Because thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise thee. Thus will I bless thee while I live. I will lift up my hands in thy name. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise thee with joyful lips. When I remember thee upon my bed and meditate on thee in the night watches. Here's a psalmist that doesn't have the hope that we have as Christians that longs for the Lord. He thinks about him in a, in, in a constant state, even when he's resting in bed. His flesh longing for him. Like he wanted to see the Lord. He wanted to be in the presence of the Almighty God because he recognized that God's loving kindness is better than life. And he recognized that without even having an understanding of Jesus Christ like we do. Remember, under the old law, again, if you're following the uh, First Peter study, First Peter 1, 10 through 12, we covered this. It was a mystery. Christ was a mystery to those under times past, the law and the prophets. Uh, and it was the, that mystery of salvation through Christ 
and in the church that was revealed through New Testament teachers such as the apostles. We see that in Ephesians 3, 1 through 11. Without that knowledge, he's still longing for the Lord. Do you long for the Lord or are you just afraid of hellfire? Well, you know, I don't, I don't blame anybody that's afraid to go to hell. I mean, when, when you look even at just a few scriptures that talk about damnation, the judgment scene in Matthew 25, 30, uh, where right at the end of the parable of the talents, it says, Cash ye the unprofitable servant in the outer darkness, there should be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I mean, if that's the only verse in the Bible that talks about judgment in a negative sense, I don't want to see that. But you read down further in that context in Matthew 25, 46, these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. Everlasting punishment? I mean, when I think of the power and might of God, I don't even want to know what that punishment is. And yet we get other verses like Mark 9, 43 through 48. Jesus said, if thy hand offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter into life maimed than having two hands to go into hell and to the fire that never shall be quenched where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. And if thy foot offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter halt into life than having two feet to be cast into hell, into the fire that shall never be quenched, where the worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. And if thy eye offend thee, pluck it out. It is better for thee into the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hellfire, where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. The fire is not quenched. Revelation 21.8 gives you this depiction of a lake of fire, and, and that fire is not quenched. I mean, yeah, that's scary stuff. And fear has its role. You know, in Psalm 111 and verse 10, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all they that do His commandments. His praise endureth forever. So fear is the beginning. I mean, I don't want to go to hell. That makes me look into what do I need to do to, using that language of Matthew 23, in verse 33, escape the damnation of hell. Philippians 2.12, written to Christians. Paul says, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Being afraid has its, its power. It has its ability to motivate. I don't want to go to hell, so I will. But... Being afraid of one thing doesn't mean you love the other. That's what we're going to talk about today. We have to have the right mindset if we're going to truly be saved. We have to have a desire for the Lord that's not just solely motivated on, I don't want to go to hell. In Psalm 73, 25 through 28, Psalmist says, Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For lo, they that are far from thee shall perish. Thou hast destroyed all them that go a-whoring from thee. But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all thy works. Is that the way you think? Whom, whom have I in heaven and earth that I desire more than God? That, that's the mindset that God's people ought to have, that we ought to think about. And I want to draw nearer to God. I put my trust in God. My faith is in God. That's the way we ought to think. So let's talk about love. 
You know, in 1 Corinthians 8, 3, if any man love God, the same is known of him. Let's talk about love. Why are we focusing this part of the podcast on love? Because what the Lord has in store for his people is for those that love him. Notice, the language is not for those that are afraid to go to hell. It is for those that love him. 1 Corinthians 2.9, but as, is it, as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Let me read that again. But as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. And James, first chapter, verse 12, blessed is the man that endureth temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. My question, do you love God? Now, you could put that to the test. If you love him, you're keeping his commandments, John 14 and verse 15. So, I mean, you you can, it's not an emotional feeling. It's not uh, the warm and fuzzy, ooh, you know, uh, I think about the Lord and my heart just, no, it's not that. It's, it, love is an action. It, it moves you forward. Do you love him? The love that God is looking for is very distinct. In Deuteronomy 6 and verse 5, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. Think about that. With thy heart, soul, and might. In Mark chapter 12, 28 through 34, one of the scribes came, having heard them reasoning together, perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, which is the first commandment of all? And Jesus answered him, the first of all, the commandment is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like, namely this, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said unto him, Well, master, thou hast said the truth, for there is one God, and there is none other but he. And to love him with all the heart, with all the understanding, with all the soul, with all the strength, and to love his neighbor as himself is more than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he answered discreetly, he said unto him, Thou art not far from the kingdom of God, and no man after that durst ask him any question. So love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. It, it's not a fleeting moment in the day. It is part of your being. That's very distinct, isn't it? Very distinct. In 1 John 5, 2 through 3, like John 14, 15, gives us this. By this we know that we love the children of God and we love God and keep His commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments and His commandments are not grievous, meaning His commandments are not burdensome. Very distinct. Love God with all your being, and that is shown through your obedience. So I want to give you a little carnal illustration. Let's say 
a man is courting a woman. And he looks at her and he says, baby, I have to choose between you and her. Now, I really don't want either of you, but she's worse than you. She, she, she's, she's a one, you're a 1.2 on a scale of 100. So, I guess we're getting married, baby. Because, baby, I love you so. Let's hook up. Let's spend the rest of our lives together. What do you think a woman would say to that? Unless she is just totally off her rocker. You think she'd be like, oh, you're so sweet. You're amazing. I love you too. Isn't that what people are basically saying to God? When they say, I want to go to heaven so that I don't have to go to hell. It's like, okay, if I have to, I'd rather this. Hmm. Folks, do you call that love? Do you call that love? In any situation on earth, that's not good. That wouldn't even fly in a job interview. Imagine being in a job interview and the person interviewing the, the candidate for the job says, so, um, you know, we're excited to talk to you and we'd really like, like what we see in your resume and so forth and so on. And, the, and during the interview, he says, so would you like to work for our company? And the guy says, well, I've got one other job interview. Um, and after looking at that, I really, really don't want that job. I don't want this job either. I can't stand the idea of working here. But you know what? I guess since I've only got two options, I guess I'll work for you. Can you imagine the employer going, great, we're excited that you're going to come aboard and be a part of our company? No way, folks. But what about when that's the statement towards God? Lord, I want to spend eternity with you only because I don't want to go to hell. What's your mentality? Psalm 27, verse 4. One thing have I desired of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and inquire in His temple. That's just talking about the temple on earth. Psalm 84, 10. For a day in thy courts is better than a thousand. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. That wasn't even talking about heaven. Neither one of those verses. It's talking about the temple that was in Jerusalem. Psalm 119, or not Psalm 119, Psalm 116, 19 says in the courts of the Lord's house in the midst of the old Jerusalem, praise ye the Lord. That's, the psalmist is talking about just going into the temple. He's so much more excited about going into the temple than many, many people I have met are excited about heaven. Come on, people. Do you think the Lord's going to say, well, you know what? I'm glad to be your alternate choice. <laughs> Come on. No way. That's not the way you express love. That's a, a loveless marriage, isn't it? Going through the motions doesn't cut it, even if all the motions appear outwardly to be right. Consider the church in Ephesus. In Revelation 2, 1 through 7, under the angel, meaning the messenger, of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. If you want to know the imagery of that, just go back to chapter 1. 
He says, I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience, how thou cannot bear them which are evil, how thou hast tried them which say they're apostles and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne and hast patience, and my name's sake has labored and has not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come to thee quickly and remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He that hath in here, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give the e of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. So when we look at the church in Ephesus, they were, they were, they were soldiers for Christ. But they left their first love. The Lord's instruction wasn't, I'm glad to see you going through the motions. That's like the man who goes to work and comes home and gives his wife a kiss and says, I am so glad that I chose you to be my wife. It's better to be married to you than, you know, nothing else. I mean, you or no one. I mean, I guess you're better. So we'll have dinner together. But hey, you know what? It's just emotions. Just going through the motions. It's not a marriage. It's a loveless relationship. They were in a loveless marriage with the Lord. Is the Lord your first? Meaning your foremost in time, place, order, and importance. The chiefest. Love like you see when you look at faithful men like the Apostle Paul. In Philippians chapter 3, I want you to, I want you to hear Paul write this to the saints in Philippi. Philippians 3, 4 through 21. He says, though I might have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he have whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews as touching law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness, which is the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered loss of all things, and do count them but dung that I may win Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness, which is of God by faith, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death, if by any means... I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I might be apprehended for that which I am also apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto the things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us, therefore, as many be perfect, be thus minded. And if any other thing be otherwise minded, God shall reveal this even unto you. Nevertheless, whereunto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us mind the same thing. Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so far as you have for an example, where many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is their shame, who mind earthly things. 
For our conversation, that word means citizenship, is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. He, he begins chapter 4. Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and long for, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. Paul looked at everything that he had on earth. That would be an advantage to him in his carnal life. He says, they're dung, they're waste. He let it all aside that he may know Christ, that he may have part in the resurrection unto life. He pressed toward the prize of the high calling. See, he's not running from something. He's running to something. He's not running from the devil and from the devil's hell. He's running toward the Lord and eternal life. Are you running to or from? That's a question for you. Now, is Paul some sort of an exception that he was willing to lay aside everything? Is he, you know, some people talk about Jesus or, or the apostle Paul. I don't know why they don't talk about the other apostles. The other apostles made many, many sacrifices too. But it seems like Paul somehow is elevated in the minds of people. I mean, you look at what Peter did. Yeah, he failed multiple times that we have recorded for us. We talked about this in our study in 1 Peter, so you might go back and listen to some of that. But these men gave up a lot, and they ran towards eternal life. Think about it. We read Peter's words earlier in 2 Peter 3, 8 and following, 8 through 12, looking for and hasting to the coming of the Lord. So it's not just Paul. He's not the exception. And for any Christian, any Christian, you're putting the Lord first if you're running to heaven. In Luke 14, 25 through 33, there went great multitudes with him, that is with Jesus. And he turned and said unto them, if any man come to me, notice, come to him, not run from something, but come to him, and hate not, that is, prefer over his father, mother, wife, and children, and brethren, and sisters, yea, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first and counteth the cost, whether you have sufficient to finish it? Lest happily, after you have laid the foundation, is not able to finish, all behold it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going to make war against another king, sitteth not down first and consulteth whether he be able with 10,000 to meet him that cometh against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is a great way off, he sendeth ambassadors in desired conditions of peace. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. You cannot be the Lord's disciple if you're not willing to forsake all that you have. If you're not willing to put the Lord first, and if you don't put the Lord first. Now, that doesn't mean you can't enjoy life. It puts everything in perspective, though. Lord, number one, everything else in life, two, three, four, five, six, seven, da, 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 right? In 1 Peter 3, 11 and 12, it talks about Christians, let him eschew evil, do good, let him seek peace and ensue it. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, 
His ears are open to the prayer, but the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. So faithful living is certainly part of a faithful Christian's life. But verse 10, that precedes what I just read, says, For he will love life and see good days. Let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. So yes, we're avoiding doing evil, but we can also enjoy life. Sometimes people think that Christianity is some form of bondage. And, and we've talked about this in previous podcasts. Um, and I won't hash this all out all over again, but maybe this is the first time you've listened to a podcast or maybe you've missed, missed some of the past. Look, the life of a faithful Christian, if you, if you really consider what God desires of his people, is not that we don't have fun, quote unquote, in this life, but the instructions of God keep us from that which harms us. Think about it. Why does Christians not drink alcohol? Well, somebody could say because the Lord said not to in 1 Peter 4, 1 through 5. Sure, okay? But why does he say not to? What's alcohol do for you? We have these discussions locally here in El Paso. One of our brethren, and you've heard from him in the past uh, in a podcast, Brandon, uh, he works at a hospital. He's in the medical field. And he'll talk about people, men, etc. cetera. Uh, matter of fact, I asked him not recently in a, in a Bible class. I said, when do you start seeing people that engage in alcohol having liver problems? And, I, and if I remember correctly, I think he said around the mid-40s. And, you know, there are people that come in there and they're yellow and, and their liver's not working right. Why? Because of alcohol. Alcohol destroys your body. It, it causes health problems does all types of horrible things uh, to you. So our Lord keeps us away from things that harm us physically and spiritually. He doesn't rob us of enjoyment. Think about if the world stopped fornicating, and, and again, fornication is unlawful sexual intercourse. What would happen to sexually transmitted diseases? What would happen to pregnancies that, that should not occur? What would happen to the subject matter of abortion if fornication ceased to occur and I know that there are married people that get abortions, but a lot of abortions come from quote-unquote unwanted pregnancies, right? I'm not saying it would completely remove abortion, but the subject matter would change uh, quite a bit. Uh, it wouldn't be a form of birth control after the fact. Our Lord's instructions protect us. We get to enjoy life even greater. We get to be at peace when you tell the truth, you're not worrying about who's going to find out you lied. When you pay your debts, you're not worried about who's going to come and take something from you. When you love your neighbor as yourself, you're not worried about what your neighbors are going to do to you because you're a terrible person. We enjoy life, but we keep the Lord at the forefront, the foremost. He's the chief seat. Romans 14, 79, context talking about authorized liberties, says, none of us live to himself and no man dieth to himself. For whether we live, we live in the Lord, or whether we die, we die in the Lord. Whether we live, therefore, or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ both died and rose and revived that he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. So for Christians, we're not just going to go through the motions like the people in Ephesus. We're going to go through life, we're going to enjoy life, but the Lord is going to be at the head of the table, so to speak. He is our life. Think about the language in Colossians 3, 1 through 4. 
If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Christ, who is our life? What's your life? Some people, it's basketball. Some people, it's work. Some people, it's their children. Some people, it's their hobbies. Well, for the Christian, our life is Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, some language here that is just great. Verses 14 and 15 says, For the life, for the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge, that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which should live not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Like we've talked about recently in our first Peter study, you're redeemed, you're, you're purchased. Christ purchased you. And as a Christian, you appreciate and understand that, that he brought you out of the bondage of sin. And because he did that, we love him with all of our heart, mind, and soul. We love the Father with all our heart, mind, and soul. We love the Holy Spirit. You know, when we were talking about in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 through 22, in those podcasts, the role of God the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and our salvation, we love them because of what they've done for us, because their love for, for us was before we loved them. Yes. I love you, Lord. Do you say that and mean it? With all my heart, mind, and soul. I've got something for you. I got something for you that I want you to really consider. Maybe, maybe you're you're really pondering some things. And you know what? When I have Bible studies with people, uh, I pose some questions sometimes to make them really think. And this is one of those questions. Have you considered what heaven will be like? Now we don't have much of a literal description of heaven. I really hate it when people go to the book of Revelation, specifically chapters 21 and 22, and they start talking about what heaven will be like. Heaven is not a physical place like we do. It's figurative language. And by the way, in Revelation 21, it's talking about uh, the church being restored. It's coming down to the earth. When when we go to heaven, the earth is going to be destroyed, 2 Peter 3, 10 through 14. So People get that all wrong and twist it up and start describing heaven. In the book of Revelation, we do have John having visions of some things going in heaven. Again, don't read too much into this, but just grab a, a general idea. In Revelation 4, 10 and 11, the four and 20 elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their thrones before the throne, cast their crowns before the throne saying, thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for thou hast created all things and for thy pleasure they are are and were created. So the, the imagery that John sees in this vision, again, not to be taken you know, hyper-literal, is that the angels in heaven are worshiped before the throne of God. In Revelation 19.5, a voice came out of the throne saying, Praise our God, all you servants, ye that fear him, both small and great. He heaven is going to be a time of praising God. <laughs> let, me, let, me, let me put this to you. First day of the week comes around, it's time to worship God, and you're sitting there thinking, the game's coming on. I, I once preached in a place in Pennsylvania, uh, 
So the hour, Jesus says to the woman of the Samaritan well, the hour cometh and now is when the true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. For God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. This is what God desires. Now, it's not going to be your house. Heaven is not your house. Jesus in John 14, 1 through 3, let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, think about how Jesus is talking here. In my Father's house, there are many mansions. Don't get hung up on the word mansions. I've heard people that they just don't spend enough time doing serious Bible study. And, and there are even songs that are in songbooks where people get caught up on the word mansion, you know. No, the word just means resonance, an abode, a place to stay. Mane is the Greek word, Strong's number 3438, okay? In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. This is Jesus talking about heaven to his disciples, He's going to ascend back into heaven. This is in the last week of his life. He's telling them, I'm going to bring you there. The, all I need to know is this. Jesus was in heaven. He knows the difference between heaven and earth. When he left heaven, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that through his poverty you might be rich. Heaven is a place wherein Jesus was considered to be wealthy. That's not earthly terminology, by the way. You know, it's not like you're going to go to heaven and get your ATM. But I do know that in eternity, as a faithful Christian, I'm going to be a joint heir with Christ. Romans 8, 17 and 18, if children, then heirs, heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ, so be that we suffer with him. We may be glorified together. For I reckon that the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. That's faith to talk like that. You ask me what's heaven going to look like, I have no idea. I have no idea. The apostles didn't either. They didn't know what it's going to be like. You know, John, he says in 1 John 3, 2, Beloved, now we are the sons of God. It doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Why were they willing to put their lives on line? Look, look around this earth. Look around this earth. One of the great views that I have here from my house is I can go look out the back of my house. I can see the Franklin Mountains. I can look out the front of my house and I can see the Waco Mountain Range. I can look up at the sky most days here in El Paso, about 300 days out of the year. We got nice blue skies. Um, I know, you know, I know Paul, Christine, people like that, weirdos. No, I'm just kidding. They like it when it's cloudy. We've had some cloudy days in El Paso here recently. Real cold days too. Uh, we, we, we get to look at the beauty of the earth. Whatever your opinion of what the beauty of the earth is, there's someone somewhere on, on this earth that, that you marvel. I marvel. That we all marvel. Things happen in the sky and people will go out and marvel at that. God made this earth that he's going to destroy. That is not his house. It's our house. Imagine his house. That's it for me. I know I'm going to be with God.
I don't need to be sold through carnal imagery. Do you? I can't wait to praise him. If he wants me to worship him from all eternity, so be it. To avoid hell? No. No. To be there. How about you? How about you? Can you wait to see what God has in store? Can you wait for that? I look at the language of our Lord, John 6, 26, 27. Jesus said to them, this is after he fed the 5,000, then departed. He said, you seek me not because you saw the miracles, but because you did eat the loaves and were filled. Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath God the Father sealed. That's it. Everlasting life. Thank you, Lord. I'll take it. Romans 6, in contrast, 21 and 22. What fruit had you in those things whereof you are now ashamed? You know, the point being, what does sin do for you? For the end of those things is death. But now, being made free from sin, become servants of God. You have your fruit unto holiness, and the end, everlasting life. That's it. If you're not running to heaven, you need to go back and learn about the Lord. You need to, like the church in, in Ephesus was told in what we read in Revelation 2, 1 through 7, go back and do the first works. Love Him because He first loved you. That's what 1 John 4, 19 says. We love Him because He first loved us. Maybe you need to go back and read what Jesus did on that cross and then reaccount that all that He did was of the Father's will. If you don't, go back and learn of him. 1 John 4, 9, And this was manifested the love of God toward us, because God sent his only begotten Son in the world, that we might live through him. And think about, God loves me. God loves me. Love him as a father. Love him as a father. Good fathers, we know this. If we tell our children, come here, I got something for you. They're not afraid, they're excited. If I tell my children, hey, I've got a present for you. They're not afraid. They're excited because my children know that as a father, I'm only going to do good for them, not harm. Think about Jesus' words. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 30. Come unto me. All you that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Look, don't want heaven to escape hell. Want to be in heaven. Set your affections on things above like we read in Colossians 3, 1 through 4. Look forward to eternal life, not just as an escape, not just as a getaway, but as a place you desire to be for all eternity. And if you're struggling with that, if hell is your main motivator to go to heaven, you really, really, really need to learn more about God. You need to learn more about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Fear is that beginning motivator. Like we talked about earlier when we look at the Scriptures, fear is the beginning, Psalm 111 and verse 10. But it is not what needs to continue to move us. We need to grow to a point where we're like Paul, and what we read in Philippians 3, 4 through 21, that I'm laying aside everything else and pressing toward the mark. I'm running to the finish line. I'm not worried about how much distance I'm putting between me and hell. 
I'm worried about what's in front of me. I'm looking forward to eternal life of my Lord. You need to examine yourself. You need to think about it from a standpoint of I want to be with the Lord rather than I don't want to be in hell. Because that's not love. Again, that, that's like a situation where one person is courting another and there's two choices that they have and they say, I'll settle for you. Settling for heaven is not desire to be there. It's settling. It's like if you're voting for a politician and you're choosing the lesser of two evils, because that's what you're really doing when you're voting for any politician, right? You're not saying, I am for this guy. You're really saying, I'm, a, I'm more against that one. Do you think that's the way the Lord wants to be in your life? <laughs> I'm not for the Lord. I'm just more against the devil. I'm not for heaven. I'm just more against hell. Folks, think it through. Do you want to be in heaven? Or are you just trying to avoid hell? I want you to really put that question in your mind. And if you're struggling with it, you know I'll study with you. If you're listening to these podcasts, you know I'd love nothing more than the opportunity to help you fall in love with the Lord. One of the things that I do, and let me suggest it unto you, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all record with different details what our Lord and Savior Jesus did for us. You can go start Matthew 26 and verse 1. You can go start in Mark 14 and verse 1. You can go start in Luke 23 and verse 1. You can go start, really, if you're going to look at the book of John, I'd start in Jesus' prayer in John 17 and read forward. And look at what Jesus did, his mindset, all the anguish that he went through, his love for you. And fall in love with him all again. Understand he chose you. And he wants you to choose him back. And he wants you to love his father and have faith in his father. Hang on for a second, folks. Hey, Taylor. Taylor. Tay-Tay. Tay-Tay. Come here. Tay-Tay, come here. I want to do something here for, with, with you real quick, folks. My daughter's been pretty good for me today. I asked her to be quiet during this podcast. I want you to tell them, say hello. Hello. Tell them your name. I am Penny girl. So you're on the podcast, Taylor. And I'm podcasting to preach. Yeah, preaching. Daddy's preaching, huh? Tell them, say, howdy, folks. Howdy. <laughs> now tell them goodbye. Adios. Adios. So I wanted to introduce you to my daughter there. She's been pretty good. You know, those of us, those of you that know her know that she's been exceptional during this podcast. Very appreciative for it. I thank you so much for listening. I hope this has been a challenging study for you. Make you think. If you need help, call me up, 915-525-5794. Or you can go to the website, wordsoftruth.net, and I'd be delighted to correspond with you. We can Skype. If you're anywhere near me out here in the desert southwest, we can meet up in person. Well, thank you so much for listening, folks. I hope that you will tune back in on Sunday to hear our study in First Peter. Until then, I'll say goodbye. Take care. <laughs>